So, hey, it's Father's Day, and we conclude our family time series with a topical sermon, The Blessings of a Father. And you get to write in all the scripture references today. So you should be busy both writing and flipping, and we'll, uh, I'll, like normal, repeat those things. i got to start with my favorite Father's Day sermon starter, and that's one. I, I used it two years ago, but it's so good I had to pull it out again. And that's the Father's Day Top Ten. So Father's Day Top Ten, and I don't have Dustin. Oh, man. You're going to have to help me out here, friends. Uh, number 10, whenever possible, please say whatever you have to say during commercials. Can I get an amen, Dad? <laughs> number 9, shopping is not a sport, and no, we are never going to think of it that way. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I have learned that maybe I should go out on Black Friday or, you know, whatever you call Thursday before Black Friday now, but um, yeah. Number 8, Sunday equals sports. It's like a full moon or the changing of tides. Just let it be. Let it be. Yeah, number seven. Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. Number six, check your oil. Please check your oil. Number five, anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact... All past comments are null and void beyond seven days. I don't know about other dads. I'm like, I forgot I said that. And it's not like I'm trying to be mean or disrespectful to my family. I just forget. Number four, if something we said can be interpreted two ways, and the one way makes you very sad or angry, take it the other way. (laughs) Number three, If we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing is actually wrong. We know you're lying, but it's not worth the hassle. Please keep in mind reading this illustration is not, in fact, an endorsement. It's just me trying to be funny. Number two, all men see only 16 colors. We're like the Windows default settings. Peach, for an example, is not a color. It's a fruit. Pumpkin is also a fruit, and we really have no idea what mob is. And then finally, the number one thing that we've been itching to say, Christopher Columbus did not ask for directions, and we don't need to either. Can I get an amen? Okay, maybe I need to thank you. Maybe I need to find a better Father's Day opening, or I just need to get a funnier preacher up here. Maybe that's what we need to do. But we do have a Scripture of the Month, and our Scripture of the Month reminds us of our job as parents, and that's Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, and let's say it together. Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Pray with me. Father, Psalm 25 is written to you as we pray to you as God, our Father, that you would show us, that you would teach us, that you would guide us, because our hope and our salvation is from you. But... You use the example of calling yourself a father in order that we might learn what a father should be and how a father should behave and that a father should show the way and a father should teach the right direction and a father should guide in truth. And mothers as well. 
and all of us in a leadership, authority role over those younger or less experienced than us can lead in this same sort of way to show, teach, and guide. And so, Father, we come now to open your word and consider the blessings of a father, how you are a father to us and how you give an example for us in being a father to those in our lives. We ask your Holy Spirit to be here with us now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, the first point on your outline this morning is the blessings of the Father. The blessings of God the Father, excuse me. And keep in mind, when God refers to Himself as a Father, and I'm saying this because of the culture we're in today, it's not being sexist, it just is. God is referring to Himself as a male and as such as a father. Now, certainly God has motherly features as well, and mothering features, and there's even psalms that refer to Him in that way. But the Bible describes Him as a father, and that's why we do. So we don't need to apologize for that. I'm just pointing out why. If you go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, everybody turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me, and then after you get there, while I'm talking about it, you might write that down. Matthew chapter 6, many of you know the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer that teaches us all sorts of things that I've preached about that here before and probably will again and teaches us that each phrase in the Lord's Prayer reminds us of a manner in which we ought to pray. But look at what Jesus says. When His disciples asked Him to pray, He says in Matthew 6, 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father. Jesus called God Father, but He tells us to call God Father. And we're going to talk about that a little bit further here. Also in Matthew, Jesus refers to God as our Father in heaven. So when we pray this way, we're praying following Jesus' model. That God is a Father to all who believe Jesus. And He is located in heaven, so we can call Him freely our Father in heaven. But that begs the question, and that's the first point on your outline there. A sub-point, first question, is how do I become a His child? How do I become His child? Well, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You're in Mark, so or Matthew, just turn a couple pages to your right through Mark and Luke and get to John chapter 1. And you know the scripture, most of you do. But there's some of us here that will hear this for the first time today, and it is totally awesome. In John chapter 1, it's a prologue to this gospel of John, but there's this amazing statement there in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he, that's God, gave the right to become children of God. Look at verse 13. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, it's not Jesus, it's John, the evangelist writing, is speaking of God and the rights that we have when we believe in Jesus as our Savior and receive Him as our Lord. And we're not born of the way that a normal person is born. It's not an act between a man and a woman. It's not the will of a husband, not human decision, but born of God, born of spirit, not of flesh. And that's how we become his child. So write down John 1.12 if you didn't already. 
John 1.12. And while you're there in John, turn your Bibles over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 16. It reminds us of trusting Christ as our Savior. And I know for many of us this is elemental, but these things are elementary, but these things we need to be reminded of. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That no matter who you are, God's not up there sending Jesus in order to make you feel bad about yourself, but to be invited into a personal relationship with the God of the whole universe through Him. Notice verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's not God's decision, but our decision, individual, each and every person, whether we believe Jesus is God's Son and receive Him as our Savior that condemns us to eternity separated from God in hell. We become His child when we trust in Him. Oh, one more scripture verse for this point, and that's in Romans chapter 8. So you're in John, keep going to the right a little bit through Acts and get to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul records uh, this. Uh, well, Romans is a, a theological book, and he's talking about living in the Spirit. And he talks about how we might, uh, how the relationship we have. In uh, Romans chapter 8, let's start in verse 15. He says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And we cry, Abba, that means daddy, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. When you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're adopted as a child, and you can call God Father, you can even call Him Abba, Daddy. And it says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are His. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're going, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. How do I know? I would tell you this one thing to consider. Do you sense the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Well, what's the Holy Spirit like? The Holy Spirit is going to help you understand when you read Scripture. The Holy Spirit is going to speak God's Word to you when you pray and give you answer. The Holy Spirit is going to help you discern situations. These are just a few of the things the Holy Spirit does, but they're evidence guaranteeing as a deposit that we are saved because the Holy Spirit is present within us. That's how you know you're God's child. So let's ask another question of the blessings of God the Father. And that second question to ask is, how does God bless me? How does God bless me? Well, uh, that might be a very individual answer. But consider these, write down Psalm 28, 9. It says, save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them and carry them forever. That's a prayer requesting that God would save Israel from whatever harm that they were in. Bless them and prosper them and because they are His. And shepherd them in order to show them the way to go and carry them, no matter what the problem is. 
That's what I love so much about the book of Psalms. Psalms is a prayer book. And anytime you have uh, something happening in your life and you don't know how to pray to God, I would tell you to pick up the book of Psalms. If you don't know where to turn in the book of Psalms, I'd say just start reading. And I'll guarantee you within a chapter or two, a psalm or two, you're going to find a verse that you can say, God, this is where I'm at right now. And you lift that up to God as prayer, and you, uh, you pray that scripture back to Him. Psalm 67, 7. I love Psalm 67. It talks about how we're blessed to be a blessing. If you want to consider what God has done in your life and get more joy based on the circumstance you're in, read and meditate on Psalm 67. But verse 7 says, God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear Him. Because of God's blessings of us, We're an example to others. We're blessed to be a blessing. I think I mentioned to you maybe last week or the week before. You know, we pray with our kids each night and it's a privilege. And John Mark has taken notice of how our family has been blessed. And he prays that other people might be blessed as well in order that they might know God's love for them. And that's a perfect prayer from a 10-year-old. We as adults should pray the same way. That God see, others see by the example of God's blessing in us. Let's move on to our second point. The first one there is the blessings of God as Father. The second one is the blessing of being a father. The blessing of being a father. I know this one's a little tough for some of us because... You want to be a father or wanted to be a father, but you aren't or can't. But thinking of the sense that all of us can play a fatherly role to someone else, even if you're a woman, a role that's an example, a role that is encouraging, a role that is teaching. And we ask that question, who is a father? Now, I I want us to turn back to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. You know the story probably, the parable of the prodigal son. But as we've talked about it before, it's not really about the son's sin. It's about the father's love. So Jesus tells this parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he starts in Luke chapter 15 verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state. So he did, divided his property between them. And that day and time, the formula was with two sons. The older son would get two-thirds of the property. The younger son, one-third of the property. I don't know. That's just the way it was. And so imagine giving one-third of all your possessions and how that would affect your household. But he did it. And it's a parable. So it may not have actually happened, but everybody who's following it's going, holy moly, how could that kid do that? Why would that father do that? Verse 13, not long after that, the son set off with all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We don't know what sort of salacious things he did, and we don't need to dwell there because Scripture doesn't either. Go on to verse 14. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him out to feed his field, uh, to his fields to feed pigs. So the Jewish boy is feeding an unclean animal, and it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this young man who once had everything he needed now has nothing and is starving with the pigs. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, 
Some of us have got to hit bottom before we come to our senses. Being hungry alongside the pigs eating slop was what it took for this young man. What's it going to take for you? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, uh, heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Do you see his plan? He's going to go back and throw himself on his father's mercy because he knows his father is a good man. But he's saying, I don't even want to be one of your kids anymore. Just make me a hired man. I know I'll eat better than I'm eating here and I won't be feeding pigs. So he got up and went to his father. But are you with me in verse 20? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. His father loved him. And either though he had hurt his father, even though he'd ran away from his father, even though he'd hurt things for in his entire family and heaven knows how long he'd been gone and how his father had grieved, he ran to him. When we seek to answer that question, who is a father, I think the first thing you might say about it is that a father is one that loves unconditionally because this father did. And he didn't hold it against him. He didn't come wagging his finger to him. He didn't, you know, get the security guards to keep him off the property or anything like that. But the father said to him, verse 21, or he's, the son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father says to him, verse 22, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Your father's going to celebrate you. He's going to celebrate your life. That's something else we learn. Verse 23, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. A father's going to provide for your needs. A father's going to welcome you home. A father's going to have unconditional love. And then there's this disagreement with the older son who was always there that gets mad. And the father goes out and advocates for the younger son and for his behavior. A father is going to stand up for you. All these things that a father is. And it's not just biological It's the role you play in someone's life and the way you love them and give yourself for them. Let's ask that next question. That next question is, how can, how can, uh, who can be a father figure? Excuse me, I wrote that wrong on my initial outline. I guess the answer to that one is, anybody willing to love someone like God the Father loves So I have one final point for us to consider, and that's about blessings, the blessing of our children, the blessing of our children. And I want to turn our attention to Genesis chapter 27. So in your Bibles, turn all the way back to the beginning, the first book there, Genesis. It means beginnings. That's what the word means in Genesis chapter 27. When we think about this idea of fathers and blessings, this passage certainly would come to some of our minds. Is Jacob stealing Isaac's blessing? Isaac was the older son, or excuse me, stealing the blessing from Isaac, stealing it from uh, Esau. So Esau was the older son, Jacob the younger. And from the very beginning, Jacob was one that was 
kind of conniving and a little bit sneaky. His name even means that. And you have this exchange that takes place in Genesis 27. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it all. But with some trickery and some subterfuge, Jacob comes in with his elderly father and puts fur on his arms and the smell on his body and maybe speaks a little bit different in his voice to deceive his elderly father who can't see anymore and to say, give me the blessing. Notice there, verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. He lies, flat out lies. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of uh, my game so that you may give me your blessing. 20, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? He lies further. The Lord gave me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near me so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac has the idea that something might be going on here. Jacob went close to his father. Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like his brother. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked, I am. Then he said, my son, bring me some of the game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And he gave him the blessing that may God give you, verse 28, heaven's dew and the earth's richness, the abundance of grain and new wine. Many nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Now this story is loaded with implications that we can't unpack here and like why would God do this involving a lie and all these sort of things. But it's the number one story we may think of in the Bible when we think of blessings. John Trent says this, as a counselor, I often see the benefits and heartbreaking results of parental choices. Sometimes it's as if I hear the cry that Esau made when he found out his brother Jacob had taken his blessing. Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. That's verse 38 of Genesis 27. Esau's desperate plea for his father's approval can be heard in families today. Kids thirst for parental acceptance. They long for their mother and their father to reinforce their worth. Meeting your children's need for affirmation doesn't have to be difficult. One way is to do what I call the blessing. The blessing has five distinct elements to build up your sons and daughters and help them understand their worth in your family and before God. And those blessings are appropriate, meaningful touch, just like the five love languages. Words of love and acceptance, value placed on the child, acknowledgement of a special future, and a genuine commitment to your child. Now these are just a few ideas that Trent has for us in the manner in which we might bless our children. But we ask that question, what is a blessing? 
You want to start blessing your kids and you're not exactly sure how to do that. Scripture gives us examples of that. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, there's that ironic blessing that says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the New Testament as well, there's blessings. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is faithful, and He will do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. There are further blessings in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, 18, 19. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 11. But I don't think many of you are going to pronounce blessings like that on your children. Maybe you do. Maybe you've memorized those things. Maybe you read them from Scripture, and as you pray over your children at a significant time or on a regular basis, you pray those blessings. But I share those with you just to be an example of what a blessing is. But your final question this morning is, how can I bless my children. How can I bless my children? Now I want to take you back to John. John chapter 17. So I should have told you to keep a finger there. I'm sorry since we were uh, close by. But John chapter 17. Come back with me. John chapter 17 in verse 6. When Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane is praying for himself. And then he prayed for his disciples. In verse 6 he says. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Jesus led the disciples to a relationship with God. The number one way that you as a parent can bless your child is lead them to a personal saving relationship with Jesus. And the number one way you're going to be able to do that is not with your words, but by the life that you live and the way that they see you. And if there's nothing else in this life, that as an adult drives you to daily pray, drives you to daily read Scripture, memorize, meditate, journal on, speak about Scripture, it should be that your children are watching you. And you are the greatest help or hindrance your children will ever have in coming to a personal relationship with Jesus. I found an interesting quote from Robert Downey Jr., who plays Iron Man, a superhero, but he's just a billionaire in a nice suit, right? But he says, do I want to be a hero to my son? No. I would like to be a very real human being. That's hard enough. You live life in front of your children as somebody that does have failures, does sin, even sins against them, but confesses and asks their forgiveness, and you live a life that's rooted in Scripture, that they see you growing as a very real Christian human being. That's going to be the best thing you can do to bless your children. You be real before your children. You believe in your children. You speak truth to your children. You support your children. You can go on and on with how you might bless your children. Paul Harvey, in a column entitled, What Are Fathers Made Of? And I've read this one before as well. So that a father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father is a thing that growls when it feels good and laughs very loud when it's scared half to death. 
A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship in a child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks. Never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him. So he works too hard to try and smooth the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. A father is a thing that gets very angry when the first school grades aren't as good as he thinks he should be. He scolds his son, though he knows it's the teacher's fault. Fathers are what gives daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so they can have grandchildren who will be smarter than anybody else's. (laughs) Fathers make bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. Though they know the odds, they keep right on betting, and one day they lose. I don't know where fathers go when they die, Paul Harvey says, but I've an idea that after a good rest, wherever it is, he won't be happy unless he gets up and goes to work. He won't just sit on a cloud waiting for the girl he loved and the children she bore. He'll be busy there too, repairing the stairs, oiling the gates, improving the streets, smoothing the way. That's what a father is. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we are so very thankful that we can call you Father. The way that you loved us and show an example for us of how to love others. And we thank you that you invited us into a personal love relationship with you through Jesus, your one and only son. So God, would we respond to you today based on your love for us? Not based on our worthiness or unworthiness because we can never be good enough. But based on your loving invitation through grace. That we might trust you as, or trust Christ as our Lord and Savior if we've never done that today. That we might confess our sins and ask for your forgiveness if we need to do that today. Whatever it is, would we respond as you lead. We pray it in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.